Demons podcast with me, Julia Stock, and my amazing psychic in crime, Vicky Henderson. Hi, Hen- Vicky. Hello there. Good morning, Julia. Oh, sorry, I've done it again, haven't I? Well, you know, we do record this on a Tuesday morning, so maybe we just need to own that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, in the last week, we have been asking various people what kind of questions they would like us to be able to answer on this podcast. And... We've had a variety of interesting responses. Um, so, Vicky, what is this week's exciting question? This week's exciting question is, how do I overcome the I can't afford it response on discovery calls or when you get to that point in your sales process? Good question. Um, multifaceted. Um my initial response would be if you've got a high number of people saying they can't afford it, you need to look at who you're targeting. Um, it implies you're talking to the wrong people in that. I love the way you're nodding and it works beautifully on a zoom call, but it doesn't work on a podcast. (laughs) You're just looking so knowledgeable on the screen. It's great. Um, it happens to all of us that people go, Oh, I don't have the money for it. First thing is not to be offended or put off by that. It is a fact of life. You're never going to convert everybody. Um, money is the biggest qualifier that we have. So you can look at it positively that you're qualifying people out quickly and efficiently. And that's probably better than if it's dragging on and dragging on, and then they suddenly go, no. Um, I presume you have lots of people qualifying themselves out on price as well. Yeah, I do to a certain point. Um, I have developed strategies to get around that um, over over the years Mm -hmm. um, in that I decided, okay, so you're gonna work with me for a period of months um, in the coaching. have to pay up front and if they can't afford to have one session a week and pay that amount they can have a session every other week and pay and over a longer period of time and that's worked really well for me so I've not compromised on my price I've just reduced the speed at which they will get their results and that would be a key point you should never discount your key price um your hourly rate is your hourly rate you can add in additional value to it um and yes the whole thing around creating packages and flexibility means that it becomes harder for people to make it about price fundamentally if you make it all about price you are making it all about price and therefore you can't have any conversation about quality genius or the great results you're having you'll purely make it on I'm cheap. Now, lots of people like doing cheap because it, it makes them feel like they don't have to work as hard for the sale because you're undercutting the competition. Um, and people who aren't necessarily that confident about their sales ability don't enjoy it that much will deliberately do that in order to get the business. Um and we've all done a bit of that, haven't we? 
Yeah, we've done a bit of that in the past, definitely. Um, where, you know, it someone says, oh, well, you know, I know you were doing this price before, etc. And you've said, okay, well, I'll hold it for you sort of thing. Or, mm-hmm. you know, um, yes, but it's, it's, there's a difference, I think, between doing it in a one-off uh, situation for a specific case than feeling you need to do it all the time. Um, and also, if you look at people who are working in your sector on the on internet, you know some people will be constantly offering good good. You know, this package is worth this amount, and you can get it for this amount today. Whereas other people don't talk about price at all. So it's very much working out where you want to sit in that spectrum as well. Yeah, and we all fall for the wow. You know, normally it costs this, and you can get it for this. And that can help somebody who's in the market for what we're buying, for what we're selling and just needs a nudge to get over the edge. Um, but it, it does make you look really cheesy and very salesy. And that comes back to your brand image. Yeah. What do you want your business to stand for? Um, do you want to be cheap as chips? cheesy as anything coming across as the secondhand car salesman there is nothing wrong with that if that's who you are how you want your business to be and there are some sectors where you absolutely have to do that in order to compete with people so there is nothing wrong with that strategy but it's quite a marmite strategy and if it makes your skin crawl don't do it the other end of it is to go okay actually i want to run a classy business i want to have a decent profit margin i want to work with people who appreciate my genius and are prepared to pay for my genius at which point let's look at under what rock are those people what is going to talk to those people you know we need to identify who they are what they're interested in what are their values and then we can talk to those price is still the key qualifier but let's not be embarrassed about our price it's a demonstration of your genius and if you are good enough to justify that price and you can own that price shout it loud and proud yeah so from what you were just saying there, Julia, about developing, you know, working out what your value is, looking at who you're talking to, et cetera, et cetera. How would you recommend that somebody goes about doing that? If we've got a listener who's sitting there going, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to do that. How do you go about developing that side of your business if you've not ever really thought about it before? So there's a couple of points when you can do this exercise. So the first time you should do this exercise is when you're starting out in terms of what is this business? What's it doing? And who do I want to play with? When you're starting out, it's all terribly theoretical. You've got no evidence to back it up. You should go and do some market research and go and ask people. Um, A key stat I keep coming back to, is that 40% of businesses fail due to insufficient market for their services. That's not saying it's not a genius idea. It's just saying not enough people want to buy it. 
um, in order for you to have a sustainable business. That fundamentally can be solved as a problem by good market research. If everybody goes, that's lovely, dear, but I'm not buying it, don't do it. So that's the starting point. For most of us, we've gone beyond that stage. Um, we're now in business, we have customers. So for me, the starting point would be to look at those customers and go, who do I most love working with? When I have a meeting with them, when they send me an email, when they call me, who are the people that I automatically, instinctively have a smile on my face? You're already thinking of two or three people. <laughs> um, I, I automatically think of people where, yeah, I'm always pleased to hear from them. I do my very best work with them. I know I'm adding value. It doesn't feel like work. Don't have a problem if they ask me to do something above and beyond because that's the relationship that we have. These are your ideal clients. So what you can do is analyze who those people are. You want to analyze it in a few different ways. Is there a sector that they're all in? Um, is there a type of work that you're doing for those people? What are their personal characteristics? What's their personality like? What's their background like? Um, for me, as a business advisor, I particularly love working with people who are kind of one to three years in. It's still an adventure. It's still scary as anything. They haven't tried everything and are bitter and cynical and twisted that it didn't work. Um, they're not battle hardened. Um, they know they don't know it all. And that gives me an enormous amount of scope to add an enormous amount of value. Um, so they're my absolute personal fave people to work with. Um, once you've described that, it becomes an awful lot easier to find them. Again, coming back to me as a business advisor, brand, 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 brand new startups can't necessarily afford me. Some can, but generally, again, the reason for one to three years is those businesses have started to make money. There's profit in there that they can afford to invest in working with someone to help them scale and take the business to the next level. Um, again, that's the sweet spot in terms of budget. So coming back to the original question and my flippant answer of if you're having a high rejection rate about price, you're not aiming at the right people. That would be why I say that. Um, for me, brand new startups are very rarely the right people. People one to three years in, probably 75% of the time, they are the right people. And you know that from analysing who you're working with, who you most love doing. And the other thing you have to do is go and look at the data. You know I'm all about the data. Oh, you're all about the data. <laughs> I know that. I was hoping the data was going to come up. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to ask me a specific question. Um, with the data, let's look at who we're actually making profit with. As a business advisor, our model is very simple. Um, therefore, for us, we actually don't really have any clients that we don't make money on. Um, Yes, I get to be smug at this point. Um, but you'd kind of hope a business advisor would have a good profitable business model. Otherwise, why am I advising other people? Um, 
for other people, they will have clients who they're not making any money out of. Um, I was advising somebody yesterday um, who was worried about putting his prices up with some of his older clients, to which meant you're not making any profit. So you're stressing about losing turnover. You're not stressing about losing profit. In the end, profitability is the only number that matters. So if you've got a whole bunch of clients that you're spending a load of time and effort on, killing yourself over, and ultimately they're not contributing to your profit, what are you doing? And I think there's a lot of people that fall into that category. They they get drawn in by the the, the, the turnover, the, the vanity yep. numbers, rather than actually looking at the, well, if I reduced my turnover and I got rid of those clients, I'd probably be more profitable. Yes. Profit, profit, profit. Um, it's the only number that counts. So when you are putting together your pricing model and when you are quoting for work, you need to make absolutely certain that there is a good, chunky profit margin in every job that you bid for. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. Um, you can't control over who's going to say yes, but you can control whether or not you're going to make money out of it. And if you're not going to make money out of it, don't do it. Um, yeah. Unless you are right at the beginning and at the stage where turnover is everything, otherwise you don't have a business. Um but you should never be making a loss. Um, if you can't do it for the money, don't do it. Because you're not there to be somebody else's slave. That's that's not being a business person. Um, we had another question about what are the key numbers I should be running, didn't we? We did, yeah. Um, so profit margin would be one of the key ones. Um so analyzing your fixed costs, analyzing your variable costs. That sounded very economistic, didn't it? Um, so your fixed costs um, are those costs that you're paying out whether you have any customers or not. So if you are hiring premises, that rent is part of your fixed costs. Um, you know, it tends to include phone bills. Um, if you've got a car that you're putting through the business, all of those kinds of things. Um, fixed costs are all your marketing costs as well. Variable costs are the costs that you only incur when you are doing that job. Um, so for you and I, we don't really have many variable costs. If we're putting together a training course, then it would be the cost specifically around producing any resources for that course. Um, if you're in manufacturing, then it's the costs of producing whatever it is that you're producing. Um, when you're costing a job or a project, you need to make sure that you include both of those. So if you go for what's known as a variable cost pricing model, which again sounds very swanky, that means you're just looking at the direct costs of producing whatever it is that you're producing. So if we look at a heating engineer, for example, um, you're just looking at the cost of the boiler, the pipes, um, and all those bits that go into that particular job. You're not including the proportion of the overhead, those fixed costs within that model. So you can end up thinking that, oh, you know, I've taken my variable costs, 
my labor um, and anything else I can think of um, that's specific to the job added 20% boom I'm making profit if you're ignoring all those fixed overhead costs then actually no you're not so we need to include a proportion of overhead so you're looking and understanding what are those fixed costs over a year if I've got a project that's going to be full-time for me for three months then a quarter of those overheads need to be allocated and added to the cost of that proposal that's how we can make sure that we're already cost that we're always costing with a sensible profit margin involved um, at the moment where lots of clients have got massive inflation in terms of materials costs um, I think they need to be careful about the wording on their proposals. I've got some clients that are putting out proposals for six months in advance. If you've got £50,000 worth of materials cost in your extension, for example, if you're a builder, then you know that it's not going to be £50,000 worth of material cost in six months' time. We, we know that inflation is, what, 6% at the moment. So you can look at the wording that you put into your proposals to make it clear this is what it's costing now, but oh client, I am passing that on to you, any increases. Yeah, um, and I think it's really important that you, you do do that, um, particularly if there are you know variable costs, because if you don't, you're simply going to end up working for nothing again. Um, and I know there are certain people who feel maybe uncomfortable saying, well, this is what it is now, but I'm going to pass on any additional costs when they come up to you. And it's about having that confidence, isn't it? To say, no, actually, this is how it's going to work. And if you're not comfortable with that, you're not my ideal client. So we come back to that whole yep. rejecting of the price. And again, within the growing your business up, there is a time where you stop chasing every single piece of business and you kind of get to stand up straight and have a little bit of swagger and go, actually, there's more to life than working with annoying idiots. Because, again, if they're not your ideal client, you tend not to like them as individuals. And I was being really tactful and delicate in my language then. <laughs> These people don't have you do your best work. They're the people where as soon as you see the email or the number come up on your phone this sense of dread and tension infuses your body and you're naturally defensive. You should not be working with those people. Ditch them. I don't care how lucrative the job is. If you feel that tense and miserable working with them, step away. Um, and make sure in your organisation and your targeting for the future that you are actively um qualifying out people with those same characteristics um and i'm talking a lot about builders today i do work with more people than builders um it's just this topic's very buildery today um so i talked to quite a few of my builders around adding in qualifying questions into their sales process asking people well have you ever had builders before and building work and how did it go and how did you like working with those people? Encouraging the customer to talk. Again, coming back to this principle of customer curiosity. If they start squawking about what a nightmare it was and how hideous it was and how untrustworthy they all were, as a builder, I would want to run for the hills. These people 
may have had a really bad experience, but let's face it, 50% of that bad experience blame probably is down to the client and how they operate and how they communicate and their level of expectation. And particularly at the moment, beginning of 2022, um, builders get to be really fussy at the moment. You know, they're oh, yeah. booking they're booked up for years in advance, aren't they? Six months in advance. Um, they don't have to work with idiots who no. won't communicate. They they get to turn people down. Um, and when we get to turn people down, that's a good thing. Um, so, yes, in summary, coming back to the question, if people are making it about price, that's because you haven't talked about the value you are adding your clients are making it about price because you made it about price didn't they yeah i know that you talk about investment not price yes and i was about to say that actually um from a, a service point of view or anywhere that you're adding value um or there is a potential return on their investment um from a psychological point of view i use the word investment um because if it's seen as a cost it's a negative thing in many people's minds it's not a positive thing whereas if it's an investment and they're going to get a return on that investment it completely changes the way they think of it so for your builders the person is investing in their quality of life they're investing in the value of their house longer term and there will be a return on that investment um, in the coaching world or many of the service world, you know, you're investing your time with a financial advisor or your money so that you will get a bigger return in the coaching world. Is it about working with you and, you know, increasing your profitability by three times? Is it about working with me and increasing the quality of your life, which will then in turn lead to increases elsewhere so there's a lot of psychology around the wording that you're using is it a cost is it a price is it an investment and it's about finding out what's right for you in that setting and what works for your clients yes it's, um, it's the language that resonates with your ideal client same as our branding shouldn't be about our personal choice it should be about what does our branding say about us as a business and what message do we want our branding to say to our ideal client we need to look at branding that appeals to them um so you and i are both based near bristol um and and bath and it's very interesting when i talk about branding with with businesses it's like are you aiming for the people who live on lansdowne hill and bath which is as swanky as swanky gets, isn't it? You know, are we aiming for the people in the Royal Crescent, darling? Or are we aiming for the people who are perhaps on the outskirts of Bristol and Bath, um, live in the suburbs, still perfectly lovely people in perfectly lovely houses, but a lot less swanky, uh, perhaps younger in demographic, and different visual cues will appeal to that market. Um, if you're aiming for the full swank, brilliant, own it, deliver amazing customer service, charge what those people are willing to pay, knock yourselves out. 
but the branding and the language has to be different to appeal to that market. And that's not branding and language that will appeal to the people living in the suburbs unless they aspire to be living on lands downhill in Bath. And I think that comes back to where you were talking about at the beginning and something that I know is one of your really key areas. It's about doing that market research. It's about finding out actually what does appeal um, to you. You know, put some market research together. Do you feel more comfortable with the world investment cost or price? Find a way of putting that across. You know, what do what what are you aspiring to? And actually go out and ask these people who are your potentially ideal clients these key questions so that you can get your messaging right. And I know you get a lot of your clients to do that market research and they find it quite challenging, don't they, Julia? It's emotionally very challenging to open yourself up. Um, I found it less challenging when I did market research because I'm fundamentally really nosy and love talking to people. Um, but as business owners, we love making assumptions and we shouldn't. And I know that assumptions is a massive mindset thing. So maybe that is a topic for a future podcast because I'm pretty sure we can witter on for days about making assumptions. Absolutely. <laughs> We are coming to the end now. Um, so, yes, if people want to know more about how not to make things all about price or want to improve how they can target their ideal customers or increase their sales confidence, competence, knowledge, ability, then they should sign up for our long-term coaching program, Vanquish Your Sales Demo, shouldn't they? They absolutely should because they'll get some amazing content that will help them um, cover all of these areas that we've been talking about today and kind of build it up like you might build up a Lego house, so one brick at a time. And then it doesn't seem quite so uh, daunting a task because we will take you through how it works and build it up one level at a time so that by the end of the year you're in a, a really great position. And if they go to the bsg.co.uk website they can find our free seven day demon dare challenge um and um see what we can do to help them grow their business absolutely have a little taster you might get some light bulb moments off that alone absolutely um darling you've been magnificent as ever and so have you um and um i think we will leave it there <laughs>